Once upon a time, there was a young shepherd, a boy after God's own heart. He went from tending sheep to leading armies, from wearing a sword to wearing a crown. He was one of history's greatest kings who committed one of history's most infamous murders. His rise built a kingdom. His fall would tear it apart. Well, how are you doing this weekend? Doing good? They're not doing that great here at the Long Point campus. I hope you guys are doing better at our off-site campuses. I know that they screamed that out in Columbia, but let's try here again in Long Point because I know you guys are doing better than that. How are we doing this weekend? All right, there it is. Yes, we're doing great. Well, I am doing great. My name is Sean Wood. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Seacoast, and it is just my pleasure and my honor to be able to continue in our series that we've been uh, studying the life of David, basically studying the rise and the fall of the greatest king um, who ever was able to serve Israel. And we've looked at the last couple of weeks, we're mainly right now in the rise of his, of his kingship and, and the rise of his successes. And we looked uh, over the last couple of weeks, first at his anointing, and we saw that as he was anointed the king and how that plays out in our life as we are choosing important people and uh, people to surround us with. And then we saw as well um, his great victories. We've seen him uh, slay lions. And then last week, Pastor Greg walked us through him slaying the giant Goliath. And we have saw this great success in his life already as he's beginning to rise into power. And this weekend, we're going to look at the fact that behind every great success, there is a loyal friend, a loyal friend. Behind every great success, there's a loyal friend. Behind every great marriage, there is loyal friends who are um, helping to lift that marriage up. Behind every great business, there are loyal friends who help the business owners lift those businesses up. Behind every great team that succeeds, there are loyal friends behind that. And this is no different. But, but let me describe a scene to you. kind of sets the tone of friendship. You're sitting at your laptop. And you log in to Facebook as you're sitting there, for some of you. And you, you see up in the left-hand corner, there's this little red circle. And there's a number in it. And it's a, it's a pretty big number for you. So your heart flutters just a little bit. Because you have four or five friend requests. And for some of you, that just means someone actually cares. And so you look at that and you go, man, I've got some friend requests. And you go and you scan down the thumbnails and you see some people that you vaguely remember from high school that are requesting to be your friend on Facebook. You kind of think you remember their name. Maybe they were in your class, maybe the class after. So you, you think this, well, truth be known is you just want to see if they've gained more weight than you have. And so, <laughs> so you click on the little red circle and then you click approve and boom, your friends. Your friends, right? I mean, some of you have hundreds of them. Some of you have thousands of them, friends. It's not easy. You're just a friend. Here's, here's, another, here's another scene that I want to paint for you. Jonathan, he's the son of the king of Israel, Saul. And he's the heir to the throne. And he has just recently defeated 600 Philistines with a pitchfork and a loyal friend. I mean, he has just gone into battle. In fact, look at this. 1 Samuel 14, 6 tells us like this. It says, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised, the Philistines. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. 
So here's the picture. Jonathan, the, king, uh, the king's son, is in this foxhole with a friend. And he says, hey, let's go pick a fight with the Philistines. Let's just go see what happens. Who knows? God just might show up. And if he does, he says, we'll win. We'll win. I love the way that this verse talks. It says, he says, the Lord might work with us. Here, here's just a note. Sometimes you need friends in your life that will listen to your God might do some things and aren't always there to say that he won't show up. I mean, sometimes you just need positive people in your life. And that's what this guy was to Jonathan. And so Jonathan goes and they go and they pick a fight with the Philistines and they defeat 600 of them. And so just a few months pass and the Philistines come begging for more. I mean, they just want more of a whooping, I guess. And so they come back and they're begging for more. And we saw last week that David goes and he kills their mighty man, their giant with five smooth stones and the power of God behind him. And so here's the scene that we join is Jonathan is hanging out with his dad, Saul. They've kind of heard the news of what's happened and that David has gone and done this. And at the end of 1 Samuel 13, it describes this scene to us that David walks up to Jonathan and Saul carrying the head of Goliath in his hand. I mean, like a big beach ball just walks up carrying his head. What an unbelievable scene. Jonathan sees this, and we're going to look at this story extensively this weekend, but he sees this and he pushes the approve button and goes, I want to be his friend. That's the kind of friend I want. I mean, what else makes you want to be somebody's friend than to see him carrying a big, huge head up to you? All the ladies are laughing, but the men are going, yeah, that's pretty cool. Dude walks up with a giant's head. I probably want to be in his camp, not against him, you know, kind of deal. Look at 1 Samuel 18, 1 as we see this scene play out. It says, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, being David, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan goes on to prove this throughout this story. If you, you, you want to read 1 Samuel and continue reading through 18, or chapter 18 and read this whole story this week. Because he proves this over and over again. That this, there was this soul, wanted to be friends and his soul was knit to him. And he proves that he will go after valuing him and being his friend. But I wonder as I look at these two different scenes of kind of how we talk about friends now in our lives. And who friends are to us and how easy it is to have friends. I wonder if we have not completely devalued the meaning of the word friend. I wonder sometimes if I had to ask myself this honest question as I'm even this week preparing this message, but even over the last few months, God's really been working in my heart on this question is, am I a good friend? I mean, a really good friend. And I would ask you the same thing, and maybe you would this weekend begin to contemplate this as, am I a good friend. Are we as Christ followers, those that would say we follow after Jesus, we are a part of the church, we are a family together. Are we good friends to one another? Or in this age of button clicking friendships, are friends so cheaply attained that they're lightly esteemed? In fact, I wonder sometimes if in this age of button clicking friendships, if we don't settle for casual friends instead of really taking the work that it would take to strengthen what we'll call this weekend covenant friendships. Covenant friendships. Not casual friends, but covenant friendships. In fact, the Bible wouldn't even call them casual friends. 
The Bible would use a much stronger word, and so I'll use the biblical language. The Bible would say casual fools instead of covenant friends. See, I'm afraid that if a lot of us were to take a a mental inventory of the people that we invest a lot of our emotional energy into and a lot of our life into, that what we would find is that we actually have a lot of casual fools that are around our circle instead of covenant friends who are really there for us. You know, and you can break this down a couple different ways. The first type of fool that we see throughout Scripture is dedicated fools. They're dedicated fools. I mean, look at Proverbs 13, 20. It says, whoever walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And sometimes it is our temptation to let dedicated fools run with us in life. And it's just the fact that they simply keep showing up that we allow them to have input into our lives. The fact that they just simply keep showing up. They have stick to They're dedicated in some way to being around us that we allow them to really speak into our lives. But just because someone simply keeps showing up does not mean that they're a good choice to be a true friend in your life. Here's a question you can ask if, if you've got dedicated fools around you. Are you always covering for the people that you hang out with? Maybe it's at work. You're always covering for them. Maybe you're always having to cover for them and a commitment that they've made. And now you're all of a sudden having to make up excuses for them or talk to someone or maybe even cover that commitment for them. Are you the safety net? I mean, you're the one that if they can't meet the rent this month, they know that you'll be there for them. You're the one that if they start to drink a little heavy and you're out, they know you're going to drive home for them. You're always covering for them. Maybe if you're a teenager here this weekend, you're always covering with their parents. You're seen as the responsible one. As as long as everyone's hanging with you, the parents think everything is okay. And so you're always lying on behalf of them to their parents. And you're always covering for them in some way. You see, if this is you, you have foolish friends. Again, the Bible's word, not mine, and not our foolish people around you, not covenant friends. A dedicated fool is no friend. In fact, here, here's just a word. This is free. This is just for me. It's time to go to the friend pawn shop and trade those friends in for some new friends. Uh, you won't get much money for them, but at least you'll get something and you can go get a new friend. Okay, so that's just a word. That's from Sean. That one's free. The second kind of fool we have is sinful fools. Sinful fools. These can come in a couple different shapes and sizes. First one is you have short-tempered fools that are in your life. If Proverbs 22, 24, and 25 says this, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. The Bible says you hang with short-tempered fools and you will find yourself in trouble over and over and over again. Now, I have two young sisters, and I have a daughter. So this is just a word to young, unmarried ladies. If you are hanging with the guy who can't drive down Main Street without giving someone a half a peace sign, yeah, it's a fool. He's a fool. If you're hanging with the Mr. Scream at, scream at the refs at the rec game, because he still thinks there's an NFL or NBA career somewhere looming for him if he can just nail this wreck league and he's screaming. Here's a word to the ladies, dump and run. All right, that's two words, dump and run. Just get rid of him because he is a fool and you're hanging with a fool who's going to entangle you in a snare, in a snare. If you need a ride home this weekend because you rode with him, just tap the person to the other side of you and say, can you give me a ride home, please? I need, I need a ride home. 
Here's the deal. Here's the principle. If most of the time you spend with someone consists of breaking commandments, they are probably a fool in your life. And it's time to get rid of them. Here's another type of fool. Painful fool. Painful fool. What do the people you associate the most with bring into your life? See, everybody brings baggage. Everybody. But some people bring baggage that are gifts. I mean, you love it when people come and they've got a nice gift wrap for you. They've got a lot of baggage coming in, but they've got gifts for you. What do people bring into your life? What's the baggage? Is it, is it love? Is it joy? Is it peace? Is it patience? Is it kindness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control, gentleness, the fruit of the Spirit? Or do they bring pain into your life? You know, one of the things I see as I counsel um, get a, as a pastor, I get a chance to counsel with a lot of people. And I get a chance to just talk and have conversations where people open up a little bit probably more with me sometimes than they would with just an average person that they're talking to. They tell me a little bit of stuff. And what I find is that the pain that comes into most people's lives comes from gossip. I mean, our mouths cause a lot of pain. And, and the Bible says a painful friend is a gossiping friend. Look at Proverbs twenty nineteen. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. The Bible gives us a warning. Do not associate. Don't be closely tied. Don't be knit to the language the Bible uses. Don't be knit to a gossiper. If your friends are the ones who are feeding you all of the juicy, newest information about all your other friends, take note because they are also getting that information from you and feeding it to the other friends. In fact, you've probably had this blow up before where you're in a conversation and all of a sudden you realize that the triangle has finally met and you're learning things about people and now it's blown up and the friendship begins to, to melt down and there's fights and there's yelling because gossiping people are fools in your life. Are, they, are your friends that are around you, painful friends, are they, are they liars? Are they untrustworthy, inconsiderate? And th- maybe they're not to you, but maybe you see them lying to other people. Maybe you see them being untrustworthy to other people and inconsiderate to others. Just... Just wait, your time will come because they will eventually do the same things to you. And Proverbs 25, 19 says, don't put any trust in these type of people. Trusting in a treacherous man in a time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot that slips. He compares these foolish friends to a toothache. And a toothache, you know, is just annoying. I mean, it's not something you need to go get major surgery for, but it's just constantly there and it's annoying all the time. It's a constant reminder of the fact that it's there. He says, a treacherous friend in a time of trouble, when you really need them, when you really need to to gnaw down on something, they're going to be there to remind you that they're a painful friend. Casual fools. See, they bring a lot of trouble into our lives. And what's amazing is that many of us surround ourselves with them all the time because we settle, we settle for casual fools rather than taking the time to strengthen covenant friendships in our lives. But here's the deal. That's all the bad news. Now we're going to get to the good news. It can be different. And I want to make a plea for something in your life that will be completely counterculture, completely different. It will be peculiar at every turn. It's going to cost you an com- extreme amount of time. It's going to be extremely time consuming. It's going to require lots of patience. It's going to command commitment on a level that you rarely see, uh, probably have never even given for most of us in our lives, this level of commitment. It's going to call for generosity and grace at every turn into a whole other level. 
It's going to be hard work to strengthen these deep covenant friendships in our lives. But it is what God intends for us to have when it comes to relationships. And see, what we see in this story of the, in the Bible of Jonathan and David is this covenant relationship that forms. And then throughout the story, as we see this story unfold before us, we see the model of what a friendship can really look like and the type of friend that you and I should be and the type of friend that we need in our lives. I mean, so far we've learned that David was anointed the king by, by Samuel. And then, as we have already foreshadowed even this weekend, we see that David stepped up to the plate under that anointing and showed up on the scene last week. And Pastor Greg walked us through how he defeated the giant. And now he walks up on Jonathan and and Saul, and he's carrying this giant's head. And a friendship is born. And then we see through this story that this friendship strengthens. And you know the old saying, a good friend will help you move. A great friend will help you move a body. In this case, a great friend will help you move ahead, is what this is talking about. But, but how are these friends, these types of friends made? I mean, how do we strengthen this? You say, that's great, Sean. Okay, we're supposed to have these type of friends in our lives, and we can learn from Jonathan and David, but how do we do this? First and foremost, a covenant friendship comes from God. It is a spirit-born relationship. Let's look again at 1 Samuel 18.1 and Jonathan's reaction to David when he walks up on the scene. It says, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to, to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. You see, the story of David is a series of God-orchestrated, spirit-led encounters. And this one is no different at all. Jonathan has just come off a battle where he proved himself to be the man. He was the heir to the throne. He could have been caught up in selfishness and riding high on the heels of victory and entitlement. He could have been thinking all about himself and his future. But instead, he was open to the Spirit's leading. And in that leading, the Spirit of God knit his soul to David. It was a spiritual act that happened. It was a spiritual moment where his soul was knit to David's. Have you ever had that happen? I mean, you've been knitted together with someone. I remember the first time that I realized that the 17-year-old version of my wife, Connie, as I was staring across at her and I realized through the Spirit of God, that's going to be my wife one day. And I've told you the story before. I actually walked up to her as she was standing beside her boyfriend. It's awkward. And uh, (laughs) walked up and said to my friend, I want you to meet my future wife. And boy, did they both look at me strange, but I won. So, but I remember that my soul was knit to hers. I remember the first time that I caught Isabel's big, beautiful blue eyes at the, in the, right after her birth. She looked up at me and I have an image that is seared into my brain because at that very moment, I was knit to her in a way that I can't even explain. And you can only understand if you're a parent. I mean, it was this unbelievable. I remember when Hayes looked up at me the first time, my little boy, and he smiled. And though now as an experienced parent, I'm pretty sure it was just gas. (laughs) My soul was knit to his soul. Can, Can you think of an instance where you knew that God had knit your soul with another person and a deep friendship began? Or, or have you been too afraid to really love 
that deeply? Have you been too afraid to be that vulnerable? C.S. Lewis writes about this kind of knitting together when he says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to be sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safely in the casket of your selfishness. And in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. If you want to be safe, run with casual fools. But if you want to allow the Spirit of God to knit your heart to someone in such a way that even sometimes as it is pulled and stretched, it will be painful sometimes because anything that's knit together that breaks a little bit is painful, but it will be strong because God, in a Spirit-led way, has knit you there. Now, for some of you say, hey, your wife and your children, that's low-hanging fruit, John. I mean, right? If you can't love your wife and your children that way, not only are you not sticking the landing, I mean, you've just completely bailed on the dismount. I mean, you just are, are blowing it. But how about some friendships? Let me tell you about a friendship in my life that illustrates this. Uh, happened for me about 10 years ago. I came on staff here at Seacoast and uh, was at first the high school pastor. And I'll never forget the very first time that I heard Pastor Greg give the vision behind Seacoast. And the vision at that time was just getting into multi-site. And so he gave the vision of, of how we were going to go forward and plant churches and the ark was starting to be birthed. And he said, we're going to plant campuses and we're going to reach thousands of people through this. And I heard this vision and I remember that my soul was knit to his vision in a way that was unbelievable. And over the first couple of years of being here, I began to just to know that that was something that had happened. It was a spiritual act. And, and I remember the first time that I really felt like I need to verbalize this to him. Like I need to go and tell him. I mean, I know everyone who is on staff here has bought into the vision, but I felt like for me that there was just this special anointing that I was to be a Jonathan to his David-sized dream. And so I'll never forget, it was in the multi-purpose room here at the Long Point campus. We were meeting as a staff, and at that time our whole staff could fit in the multi-purpose room. And, and the pastors had kind of broken up, and a couple of us were at a couple of different tables. And, and the Spirit of the Lord led in such a way that I got at a table with, with Greg. And I, as I sat there, I knew that I was supposed to verbalize this. And I sat there, and I looked over at him, and I remember saying, Hey, I've got something really odd to say. You know, and this is weird. It's like... He's kind of like, you know, we, we, do you like me, yes or no kind of deal, you know? Just want to kind of pass a note, we check it or not check it or whatever. And I mean, he's my, he's my boss, he's my leader, I'm new here, I'm the new guy, but I really felt this and I said, hey, I really feel like, to use the biblical language, and I said these exact words, that I'm supposed to be your armor bearer. And I said, I don't know what that means, I don't know what that looks like, but I really think that, that I'm supposed to, to support your vision and whatever that means, I will do it. I'm with you, and I'll go into battle with you. As I verbalized that, it, it was, I remember an unbelievable moment because I remember him looking back and saying, hey, you know what? I was talking with Debbie the other night, and I told her that I felt that, that you were supposed to support me in that way. And that this knitting of our souls that happened, this un unique deal. And so over the last, you know, that was two years in or so into me being here. Over the last eight years, I have tried in every way that I can to be a Jonathan to Pastor Greg's 
David-sized dream. I mean, I have tried in every way to pray for him, to support him and do what I can. And there was literally this knitting. And what I would say to you is, I know it's awkward and I know it's weird, but when you have this knitting of a soul with someone that you know that God has placed them into your life, what I'd say is you maybe need to verbalize it to them and say, I want to be that kind of friend for you. And I had to do that for Greg. And he didn't even walk up carrying a ginormous head. Like it didn't even happen that way. Would have been cool, but it didn't happen that way. So maybe you need to communicate that. And as a part of that, I I wanted to ask Pastor Greg if he could come and just talk a little bit about this covenant relationship that we've had and then also share some news that has come out of that covenant relationship with you this weekend. You know, today we've been listening to uh, Sean Wood teach us about the relationship between Jonathan and David and how important it is to have a Jonathan spirit. And, uh, you know, from my point of view, um, he has credibility when he teaches that because Sean has uh, been a Jonathan on staff with me for 10 years. I remember when I first met him, uh, we hired him to be a youth pastor. He had spiky hair and he looked a little bit, a little bit younger then. Um, we've all aged just a little bit in 10 years. Would you agree with me on that? But he, uh, we, we've asked him to serve in several places in the church. He uh, ultimately became communications uh, pastor and also one of the teaching pastors. And uh, I really enjoy his teaching. I always get a lot out of it. And I know that you do too. But he served wherever we've asked him to, and he really has had a Jonathan spirit. A couple of years ago, he came to me and he said, you know, I, I'm feeling like maybe um, I'd, I'd like to pastor a church. And we talked about it and you know, I gave him my, if you can do anything else, do it, uh, talk. And uh, we just kind of tabled that for a while. And then about six or eight months ago, God began to really deal with him, uh, not just with an idea, but a place. And so today um, we are announcing that Sean is going to take a Jonathan spirit into a David assignment. And he is beginning a church, going to start a church, plant a church in Monk's Corner, Uh, which is where he grew up, where he's from. And uh, it will be called Freedom Church, and we'll be beginning uh, at the end of August uh, this year. So uh, we're excited for him. Uh, This is not a Seacoast campus. Uh, This is a church plant, and uh, we'll be affiliated with the ARC, our church planting uh, arm. And uh, we uh, want to cheer him on. If you live in the Monk's Corner area, you may want to give it a try. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm confident that God is going to use uh, Sean and use his team in a powerful way. So why don't you join me and just uh, give it up for a Jonathan that is going to move into a David role. Would you just give Sean a hand right now? Thank you. Can, can I tell you that when you're processing a big change in your life, you need a covenant friend in your life. When you're processing that God is speaking to you, and, and let me just be vulnerable and honest for a minute. I mean, when any of us say that God has told us or speaking to us, and we're probably like 80% sure. I mean, like, you know, best case scenario, we're like, we think, we think that's where God's leading us. We think, but you know how it is. You, you kind of wait and see how the door is open. And when you're doing that, when you're processing through that, You need a covenant friend. And Pastor Greg, I just want to honor him and say that he has been that friend to me that has helped me process this and has cheered me on and put the pom-poms on and become my biggest cheerleader from his David role. And and, and I just thank him for doing that. 
But who has come into your life that when you hear their story, you want to encourage them? I mean, when you hear what God has stirred up in them and what their goals are, you go, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of making that happen. As you look at their dreams, it excites you and you want to be a part of that dream with them. Why don't you communicate that to them? And say, hey, I'm with you. Maybe even this weekend as a response to this message, there's a letter that needs to be written or a phone call that needs to be made or an email that needs to be sent to say, I want you to know I'm behind you. I'm with you. I know your dream. I know you think a lot of people don't understand it, but I understand it. And I'm going to do everything I can to support you to make sure that it happens. Because see, when that comes into your heart, that is a spirit-led relationship. God brought you into your life. And we have a choice to make, just like Jonathan did. Will we be caught up in our own success and our own life and what's going to happen for us? And we don't even realize that the hand of God is there handing this friendship to us. Jonathan realized that. And then, because it was a spirit-led relationship, it will be a secure relationship. A secure relationship. Look at 1 Samuel 18, 3. It says, Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. A covenant. What is a covenant? What is a covenant relationship? We've been using that word a lot this weekend. Um, in fact, the last time you heard the word covenant was probably in relation to your HOA. And I'm not sure that that relationship has really done much for the reputation of the word. Um, you probably just thought it meant annoying or something like that. And, but the word covenant is used throughout the Bible 286 times. And it is a rich, rich Bible word that we need to understand, especially as it pertains to our relationships. In fact, you may remember it being used in the Old Testament about uh, hearing this word covenant. As the story unfolds, the covenant begins with the father and the promises that he made to Abraham. And then we fast forward to the New Testament. We have the new covenant that comes from the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the father's son. And then the father extends this covenant that he made with Abraham to us through the new covenant. And we are grafted into this promise that God has made that he is going to take care of us, that we are his people, the Bible says. And then, so now we are living under the promises in covenant relationship with God. If we are Christians, we are in covenant relationship with God. And he asks us to then extend that same grace and that same commitment in covenant with other people. You see, in the Old Testament, this was a huge deal. It wasn't simply a contract that Jonathan was making or not even just a commitment because contracts and commitments have loopholes. And we know that, but covenants covenant friendships don't have any loopholes there's no way to get out of those commitments and in the old testament times they they would have done a couple symbolic things to kind of seal this covenant they would have exchanged robes and armor signifying that they was they were in a covenant Uh, and then they would have become blood brothers like cutting themselves a little bit on the wrist and joining their wrists together and then those scars would have reminded them that they were in covenant with that person now i'm from monk's corner and so in Monk's Corner, we did this. We, we would cut our fingers a little bit, and then we'd join our fingers together, and we were blood brothers. You got Anybody ever do that? Blood brothers. Now, now here in Mount Pleasant, you're a little soft. I know that. And so I'm just saying, you probably spit into your hand and then, then shook hands. Is that, is that what you did? And so why don't we do that this weekend? Why don't we just, just spit into your hand and turn to your neighbor and say, we're, you know, you don't have to do that. You don't have to. They just did that in Manon. Right now, they just spit into one another's hands. They just did that. It happened, didn't it, Pastor Jim? But why all the trouble and symbolism to this? 
Why'd they go through all of this ceremony? Because this needed to be a secure relationship. See, many times their lives depended on this relationship. And this security plays out in this story of Jonathan and David and their relationship. Jonathan protects David from his own father, Saul, who is in this jealous quest to kill David at every turn. He's going after him at every turn. He goes as far as being an informant for David and tipping him off to when uh, Saul is going to be after him. And so he can run. And David's on this run and Jonathan is helping him. He shows this commitment, this covenant that he has to his friend. And the truth is, if there had been no Jonathan, David would have ended up as a wall decoration on the end of Saul's spear. See, there was a security that was needed. Are your friendships secure? I mean, is there security and, and, and trust in your friendships? Do you, can you trust your friends with your things? I mean, do you trust your friends... And can you be trusted as a friend with your friend's spouse? There's no flirting with your friend's spouse. There's no inappropriateness with that because they can trust you with their things. Can, can, they, can your friends trust you with your word? When you give your word that you're going to do something, that you're going to be somewhere, do your friends trust that? And can you trust your friends? Pastor Greg was relaying a story to me recently as he was, had the opportunity to be at a, a church and was doing some consulting with a church just to kind of help them in, in their growth as a church. And there was a worship session that happened and the worship leader was fabulous. And he said he went over to the pastor of this church and he said, man, what an unbelievable worship time. This is incredible. It was a great time. He said, and the first thing the pastor said was, hey, don't you go taking that worship leader. Don't you go taking her. And that's how it is sometimes. And he said, he looked at me and he said, hey, if I'm your friend, you can trust me with your things. You can trust me with your staff. You can trust me to be around your wife. You can trust me because I'm your covenant friend. See, it's our temptation because we're not trustworthy people sometimes. And if we're not trustworthy, we don't give away trust very well either. And so we don't have real commitment, real trust with our friends. Do you have your friends back? I mean, when someone's talking about them, when that gossiper, that simple babbler rises up in a conversation, are you the one to go, hey, we're not going to go there. When the talk around the water cooler is about the manager, or the boss, and yeah, it's kind of funny, and you'd like to really join them, but you go, no, man, we're not going to go there because I've got their back. I've got their back. You know how you build this kind of security is you do life together. You do life together. The only way to be in this kind of covenant relationship is to do life together, to, to intentionally live together in community, in real biblical community. And we were talking about this at our message planning meeting. And we we're talking about the story and the fact that Jonathan says that his soul was knit at that moment. But then I, Pastor Greg pointed out, he said, you know what? The writer of this is writing from the end of the story and he knows the whole story. I bet that some of this happened over time. There was a spirit-led action that happened where his soul was knit, but then over time, the friendship built. Over time, the trust built. Over time, the commitment was there, and this covenant friendship began because they live life together. When you live life together, you grant access. They can get in touch with you, covenant friends. You answer their phone calls. You don't screen their phone calls. They can drop by the house unannounced. In America, that has become a no-no. You call ahead. 
so that I can do a quick five-minute cleaning of the house to convince you that I'm always this clean. (laughs) When in fact we know that we're not and that no one else is either. But a covenant friend can drop by. They can just drop by and you don't care. So there's a little bit of toys out from the kids so the house hasn't been vacuumed in a week or three. But covenant friends can just drop by. You know what? Yes, you invest in covenant friends. You start to build a portfolio in someone of investments and their value will rise. And so you invest time, you invest treasures, you invest your talents into your friends to see them succeed. And when you have invested, you have the security security that's needed to be in a relationship where you don't stab somebody in the back because you have a lot of investment in this person. This is a portfolio that you've built. Why would you hurt them and stab them in the back? But now you do sometimes have to confront from the front. You have to go when needed and you have this trust now to go and not to stab in the back, but to cut with surgical precision to help craft the character in their lives to help them deal with sin in their lives. Because here's the truth, you will have to. In fact, Scripture says that faithful are the wounds of friends, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. If someone is never coming to you and confronting you of sin in your life, you probably don't have a covenant friend in them. Because I I have to admit, and maybe you would too, I'm I'm a sinner. I need someone every now and then to come to me and have the security and the trust to say, hey, Can I help you become a better man? Hey, can I help you become a better husband? See, they cut from the front. And those wounds, the Bible says, are great wounds. So covenant friendship is spirit-led. It's God that does it. It's secure because we begin to build over time as we live together. And then look at this verse, 1 Samuel 18, 4. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. I love this picture because what we see here is this picture being played out that covenant friendship is a sacrificial relationship. Jonathan symbolizes this by literally taking the things off of his body and giving them. The most, some of the most important things that he would have had in his sword and his bow and his armor. And he takes it off and he gives it to David. It's a sacrificial relationship. We sacrifice for our friends. Now we should serve everyone that we can. And we talk about that a lot at Seacoast. We are, as Christ followers, to be a serving people. But the truth is you, you go above and beyond for your friend. You, you can't help everyone move when it's time for them to move. But you help your friends move. I mean, you, you, you go. In fact, it's been said that a friend is the, the other guy on the other end of the refrigerator. All right, when you're moving that bad boy down steps. The guy that's on the end of the refrigerator, that's a friend. That's a covenant friend. You just mark that, note that. And then you be there when he moves too. Real friends are rare Because it takes sacrifice to be in this type of relationship. In fact, many of us would surround ourselves with a multitude of acquaintances to keep from having to be real with just a few. Kind of find yourself, you're the life of the party. You've always got a lot of people around you, but no one really knows you. And you don't really know anybody. No one's really having deep community with you, deep conversation with you. No one has trust in you and you don't have trust in them. You had a lot of friends, a lot of acquaintances. 
but no real friends. And the Bible warns against that in Proverbs 18, 24. It says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. When you have a covenant friend in your life, you may not have a ton, a ton of people around you all the time, but they'll stick closer to you than a brother. You see, ultimately, David just needed Jonathan in his life. He didn't need a whole bunch of people. Here's a guy who killed 600 Philistines with a pitchfork. All right, this is a tough guy. Here's a guy who had his back at every turn. And then ultimately, Jonathan took a sword for David and gave up his life for a friend. He sacrificed all that he was in the future that many had said was laid out before him to be king and the heir to the throne so that David could be who God had anointed him to be. And again, I am making a call for something that is completely different in your relationships. There will probably be just a few mature, the most mature of us in our walk that have these kind of relationships in our life. But for most of us, this is a whole nother level. This is a whole different kind of relationship. Some of you say, I I don't know what it's like to have that kind of friend. And some of you say, I mean, have I been that kind of friend? You're really thinking, have I I been a Jonathan type of friend in my life? Have Have I really shown my friends that I'm there with them through thick and thin? And then for some of you, you have, and you've really thought there was a spirit led thing that was happening. And maybe you need to communicate that to them and say, I'm with you and I'm re upping that friendship. And then for others of you, you do say, you say, you know what? I don't know what that looks like. I, I, I run with a bunch of casual fools, man. I, I have no clue. I could tell you last night a story about some casual fools in my life. You're going, I have never seen this work out in my life. Do you know that you have a friend like that already? Do you know you have a friend who was literally willing to give his life for you? Do you know that you have a friend who, who, who is your blood brother because he gave his blood for you? Who gave up all of his rights? Who gave up all of his protection and all of his armor? Who gave up everything that was his and was rightly his? And then he came and he died for us. See, John fifteen fourteen says, Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus is the greatest friend who ever lived. He's a better friend than Jonathan ever thought about being. And he shows us, he is the model of the type of friend we are to be. And as we're trying to be more like Jesus, we're going to be more like Jonathan. We're going to be a Jonathan-like friend to David-sized dreams in our life. He's the model. And here's what I pray for you this weekend that you take the challenge to be this kind of friend and God will provide these kind of friends for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus and in sending him, God, you modeled for us the ultimate in friendships. God, I thank you that you care You care about our relationships, God. You care about our dreams. And so you, in an act of your spirit, you lead us to the people that we need to support us and to be the Jonathans to us. 
That God, for many of us, you lead us to people who have great David-sized dreams and that we are to be there to support them. And because of their dreams, the kingdom will be bigger. And so, God, we pray that you would convict us of sin where we have it. You would bring people to our mind that we need to support. And that ultimately, God, we would remember the cost that you paid to be the greatest friend that we've ever had. And God, we love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.